If you knew you only had one week to live, what would you do? What would you say? Where would you go? We're going to look at uh, that kind of a question as uh, we move through Jesus talking about the end of times. And this comes uh, just days before his death. So we will be reading this morning from uh, Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23 in this uh, next section here about the end of time. We read there at uh, verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not, ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those days who are for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Less than a week to live. And these are the words that Jesus will leave his disciples. This is what he wants to tell them. It kind of reminds me of, of Jude when he, when he starts his, his short little uh, letter to the people there. Um, I, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to speak about the things that are more important for you to know right now. And that same kind of urgency is with Jesus now as He is nearing His time where He will uh, pay the sacrifice for you and I to make sure that His kingdom exists for us both now and in its fullness later. And how to navigate the time between now and then. First, Jesus had, had said um, not to be led astray by the things that uh, occur around us naturally in the world. When he said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and uh, famines and earthquakes and things like that, uh, don't be alarmed yet. Those things will continue on. Those types of things are just uh, the results of a broken world. Make sure you understand that that is part of the birth pangs uh, that there is something coming that will intensify. But don't look for the end yet. Those are still signs of a broken world waiting for its redemption. Last time we saw how Jesus would 
encourage his disciples that um, even when you may be called out publicly, whether it's a political type of thing or, or some other way where, where his disciples we pulled out in the public square and, and mocked for their faith, persecuted for what they believe, or maybe even when family members come against you. Uh, know that He is with you in those times and you and I need to persevere faithfully through that persecution. When those things happen to us, recognize that this is a time to stand firm in your faith and the Holy Spirit will stand there with us. Jesus now tells us to pay attention to something different. Not just the normal things of this world, the the catastrophes that continue to happen. Not just the persecution that we might face, that the church will face. But he wants us to draw our attention to something that happens that shouldn't. Something is going to happen that's different than just natural occurrences or even the persecution. Don't be surprised when these trials come upon you. Uh, These are just natural also for the Christian who follows their Lord and Savior. But this time, there's a difference in what he wants us to understand and then what he tells us to do. This is uh, going to be, as our text says, the abomination of desolation. Uh, That phrase has puzzled people for a long time. Uh, Still does today. Uh, The abomination of desolation. Abomination, it would help to understand. uh, Desolation, I think we probably understand. When something is desolated, uh, there's a destruction to it. uh, it's, It's destroyed. There's... When, when the land lies desolate, it is just in ruins. We kind of understand the idea of desolation. But the abomination part maybe still is that thing that we wrestle with a little bit. And, and how do you put the two things together? Our abomination, you could think of as something that is uh, totally repugnant or detestable. Whether it's uh, an act or a person or a thing. Something that is just uh, very repulsive. The idea of abomination comes from God's desire for holiness. And these things would be the unholy things that exist where they shouldn't. Something so hideous, so grotesque, so repugnant again, in a place where it shouldn't be. Uh, you could you could come up with um, very trivial examples. Maybe a, a Spartan fan sitting on the Michigan side of a football game. That would just be a, repulsive to the team. Uh, this is far more than that. This is uh, this is something so uh, undesirable, so unholy that it uh, certainly catches the attention of God's people. It is uh, sacrilegious. Uh, 
there's, there's that little phrase in there, let the reader understand. Mark, or Matthew has it in his as well. Let the reader understand. This is uh, likely a, uh, an insert um, by Mark, not, not Jesus' words. And so it's always separated out a little bit. Um, but Mark is drawing, and Matthew, uh, they're drawing our attention to something that we should understand. Uh, I find that just fascinating uh, because the, the text says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then he doesn't give any explanation as to what the abomination of desolation is. He just goes on. But it's a command for us to understand this. It's something that we do need to give attention to. Uh, when you look at uh, Matthew's account of that again, uh, maybe it gives us a little bit uh, more of a clue as to what's being talked about. In uh, Matthew 24:15, it says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Matthew gives us a little bit more insight as to where we would start to look for what that means. How do we understand this abomination of desolation? You would be naturally drawn back to the book of Daniel, uh, as his disciples would have. They would have known of that in their studies of Scripture. Uh, this would be particularly in the book of, uh, in the chapter, uh, chapter 9, where that comes out. Uh, if you get a chance, uh, we don't have uh, time here this morning to do that, if you get a chance, read through all of Daniel 9 and look at where it begins to talk about later on uh, that abomination and the desolation. But it comes in response to Daniel's prayer. When, when Gabriel answers the prayer, he talks about now this abomination of desolation in response to Daniel's prayer. So I'd encourage you to uh, read that. Um, it talks about that time, uh, the, the period of time of the end and how it's laid out, the 70 weeks and how those are, are divided up. And uh, when we looked at uh, Daniel in our evening time uh, recently, we recognized that that 70 weeks, as mysterious as it still is uh, by many people, and what exactly are those time frames, uh, 70 weeks is a determined amount of time. There is a time of the end. There is a time where all of these things will come to an end. That is great encouragement for God's people. However you want to divide out those 70 weeks and understand it, one thing we can know for sure is there is a determined end to all of the suffering. And the end will come at that time. So you're led to believe that. And so Daniel knew of this abomination of desolation. Um, and a few hundred years later, in 168 uh, B.C., uh, Antiochus Epiphanes came in uh, and was the abomination. He set up um, a, a, a statue of Zeus in the temple and offered a sacrifice of a pig on the altar. Now, for God's people, that would be repulsive. Uh, a foreign statue in the temple 
and offering for a sacrifice that which was supposed to cleanse people from their sins is now a pig, the unclean. And everything about that scenario just uh, would make the people of Israel's skin crawl that these things are happening in the temple. So did it come? Has it happened already? Uh, it seems to have happened already before the time of Christ. Uh, when, when they're talking about this here, um, you think in the future, in the not-too-distant future, of the destruction of the temple that Jesus was talking about uh, in 70 A.D. There, uh, the Roman general Titus uh, set up Roman gods in the temple and then ultimately the temple was destroyed. So you have this abomination again in the holy place where it ought not to be and the destruction, the desolation of the temple. Has it happened? Is it finished? Jesus in uh, some ways here by, by saying what he says is uh, kicking the can of prophecy down the road a little bit. Uh, certainly these things happened in 70 A.D. It already happened in 168 B.C. So that leaves us wondering, is it going to happen again? It, it never really came to its fullness yet. Or did it? When you get to uh, the book of Thessalonians where Paul speaks there, um, he keeps this idea of uh, hardship and trial and abomination going yet. Uh, listen to the first four verses of Second Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or letters seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul brings us farther down the road in our understanding of this abomination of desolation. Uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, John still has this vision of this coming destruction, this, this intense battle where things are going to get uh, very bad, a time of great tribulation. And so even John, because John wrote his account of the book of Revelation, uh, in around 90 or so A.D. So this would be after the destruction of the temple and he's still talking about it. And so you and I are left to believe that there is still coming this ultimate day when we, watch, we, we would watch for this very repulsive thing that is about to bring about such destruction. That's why Jesus says here in the end of this section, um, and then if anyone says to you, look, there's the Christ, or look, there He is. Don't believe them. There will be many that are going to come. False prophets will arise and uh, perform signs and wonders, He says, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. 
when, she, when people try to convince you that the Savior has come, don't believe it, Jesus says. Don't believe it. Jesus wants us to understand um, about why he's writing about the end. What, what do we make of Jesus in this passage here? What is he trying to tell us? When you see the abomination, and when you have people telling you that uh, the Christ is here, don't believe it. Be aware of it, but make sure you don't believe it. He talks about how bad things are really going to get. I want to give you this uh, example, uh, this illustration of uh, what I think Jesus would have us know about what he's saying here. The point of uh, uh, end time prophecy is so that you and I know how to navigate it. It isn't meant to cause fear or alarm. It isn't meant to make us turn back or give up. It's so that we'll be prepared. Uh, When Daniel wrote his, it was so that people would have an understanding of what's coming so they would be prepared. As Jesus is telling this, he wants us to be prepared. When Jesus stood before the seven churches and gave his uh, uh, instructions to, to each of the churches there as the leader of the army, if you would, he gave them ways to, for them to figure out how to maintain themselves in the midst of intense persecution, which was the case uh, when this was written down in Revelation. So I want to I illustrate this. I want you to picture uh, this stage here is a, um, one of those uh, initiation types of things or trust kinds of things. Uh, it's, it's something that you have to uh, go through in order to prove yourself or to uh, be included in something. So, you have, so imagine on the stage, um, there is on one side uh, a young man standing and what he sees before him is this uh, large area and it's filled with all uh, cornflakes uh, and there are certain pathways to get through that. And they, they give him time to examine that. So the, man, the young man stands there. He's taking note of everything. Uh, you would know certainly when you got off path because you'd hear the, the crunch of the cornflakes, right? So he's, he's examining the way it's all laid out here. Uh, it's not a very big path that you need to choose, but there is a way that you could get through it. There are some, maybe like those mazes, that if you went the wrong way, you'd end up at a dead end. Um, so you wouldn't choose that way. You'd, you'd choose the right way so that when you get to the other side, you've made it safely through all the way. Now that they have this young man, uh, having examined what lies before him and what he needs to do, They take him off stage. And what they're going to do now is bring him back out, blindfolded, to navigate his way through that maze safely without stepping on anything to indicate that he went off the path. So he comes back out and he's blindfolded, but what the young man doesn't know is that during the time when he's off stage, people came in and took uh, everything that was there off the stage and replaced it not with cornflakes, but with broken glass. And not only that, but they changed the pathway. It isn't the same route anymore. 
There are many dead ends, and the path is still very narrow. But this time you won't just hear the crunch of a little cornflake. This one will inflict a wound on you. And every time you go off, it'll get worse. So they bring the young boy out. He has no idea that this is taking place. He thinks he's going to make his way through what he believes to be the pathway that he's supposed to go on. But now he's blindfolded. And as he's about to take his first step, his father from the audience says, Stop! Don't take another step. Listen to me and let me tell you what you need to do. Move forward one step. Now shuffle to the left. One step forward. And the Father would keep giving him these instructions as he goes along. The Father can see what's happening. He can see where he needs to go. And he's going to guide his son through that. Because for him to get off that course, to make the wrong step, would lead to tragedy for him. Jesus wants us to understand that the enemy that opposes us will always try to change the pathway. He'll give us a... a, a, a temptation here or there that might lead us astray. He'll change the environment in which you live somehow. And every step along the way, He wants to keep changing that. Now for you and I, without having the right knowledge, without having uh, the one telling us where we ought to go, it would mean uh, utter destruction for us. But we have one here in our passage that wants us to know that there are going to be those things. It's going to be terrible. It's going to uh, get so bad for you that when you're navigating through those very end times, uh, you don't need to uh, go with what you know. You're not called to just uh, think of it as things that always happen. This is going to be very different. This won't even be like the persecution that you suffer uh, from family or even from from our governments and that kind of thing because we know that's coming. This will be a time where you need to be absolutely certain that you listen to the voice of the Master. It's going to get really bad. Don't concern yourselves with earthly things, Jesus says. When when things are this intense at the end, and he talks about um, a time of tribulation, a time of suffering and persecution, a time of uh, such utter chaos and uh, destruction, and and everything being turned upside down. Uh, This is not the time, he says, to just stand firm there. Jesus' command in this is to flee. Don't worry about earthly things anymore. Don't worry about going back for this or that. It isn't going to help you then. In fact, the battle would be so intense that if, as Jesus said, if they didn't cut short the days, if if God had not stopped that time, nobody would make it through. Not one person would be able to navigate their way. It would be so difficult. So Jesus says, this is a time for you and I to flee. Why flee? This is is not our battle anymore. 
Our battle comes in those times of persecution. But when somebody comes to, to deceive the entire world, this battle belongs to the Lord. You only need to uh, wait and be silent. This is going to be much like the, the people of Israel. When God first creates that people and he, he brings them out of slavery from Egypt and begins to lead them into the promised land, this is going to be a battle that they cannot win. No way. They are, they are tired, they're weak, they're unorganized, and they have their backs up against the Red Sea. And God says, you just need to watch and wait. This battle is mine. The last battle also belongs to the Lord. You and I are called to be engaged in the battle all throughout, but when that final battle comes, and when it gets that intense, it's time to flee and watch and wait because Jesus is going to do something amazing. In John chapter 10, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's why when it says, look, there's the Christ, or look, there he is. You and I shouldn't be swayed by that at all. As much as you would, as they say, know the back of your hand, you should know exactly the character and the life and the purpose and the ministry and the kingdom of Jesus. And when he comes back, you and I will recognize that. So when somebody comes and stands in a place where he ought not to, in a place that is, in the place where God's people uh, would be watching for, and he doesn't look anything like the Christ, don't believe them. We should recognize the ministry and the life and the character of Jesus so that when this day comes, you and I uh, wouldn't be swept astray by that. But it's not the time to think that you can do this fight on your own. Uh, this is the time to uh, let Jesus uh, be the warrior in the last battle. Jesus says, uh, these things are going to happen. Things are going to get really bad. He said, but be on your guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. It's so that we would understand what to watch for in that time and be prepared and let the, the captain of the army win the final battle. I have told you these things beforehand so that now we would know. Would you join me in prayer? Father, all throughout your word, uh, you repeatedly uh, tell us uh, things in advance. Uh, sometimes they're so obscure that we're not really sure what to make of it, except that we should be uh, prepared to see when those things might happen. Later in your word, you might revisit that same thing, the same idea, the same topic, and give us greater insight so that our understanding would continue to grow. And so we pray, Father, with this, with this uh, uh, puzzling passage here about this abomination that causes desolation, this, this phrase that has... Um, left us scratching our head often. Uh, help us, Father, to see that you have once again 
given us greater insight into that, even so much so that we would always rely on the character of your son Jesus, watching for him. His coming would be so different. His kingdom is one that will always look the same from beginning to end. And we are so grateful, Father, that as children of the King, King of kings and Lord of lords, we stand and will stand victorious with him in that day. And so we pray that you would strengthen us for the days ahead. Whether we are on earth living our lives together in a community, when that end comes, or whether it's further down the road and it falls to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, we pray that we may also pass along the message of being prepared. So we thank you for, once again, revealing these things to us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words, uh, knit them with us, uh, within us, and at just the right time, would you uh, reveal to us at that time what we need to do in the circumstance when we see these things happening. Thank you for preserving these words for us and may they shape and mold us once again, uh, not for our own benefit, but for the good of your kingdom and the glory of your name. Amen.